I just got to say something. We're passing a Walmart right now in the middle of rural Illinois. Isn't that just the way it is? You'd never expect you driving down this small rural street. Boom. There's a Walmart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the parking lot's packed. And a tractor supply. Yeah. It's probably like where everyone meets on Saturday night to hang out in this particular time. Sorry, I just had to say it. Well, no, it's, it's the most small town agricultural. I don't even know the name of the town we're in right now, but it's very much that. You wouldn't expect Whole Foods to be there. Or <laughs> no, or Costco. Hey, Jason, IMTS is coming up Woo! September 12th through September 17th. I'm excited. McCormick Place, downtown Chicago. It's going to be a big, big, big event. We missed 2020. COVID obviously got in the way of that one, but I but the think party is on. the party is on. I think it's going to come back bigger, better, and more powerful than ever. I know I've heard about all the latest and greatest technology because the IMTS team gave us a preview and it's going to be exciting. It's going to be really exciting. But you know, I've been hearing about hotel prices lately that have yeah. gone, oh my gosh, hotel prices across it's the expensive. country. But do you know that IMTS has negotiated hotel rates with a lot of different hotels. Oh yeah, they've got great reduced rates so you don't have to come stay at my house no. in, in Chicago during IMTS. No, don't stay, Jason, unless you want to play with kids for the whole time you're there. But yeah, go to imts.com slash hotels yes. and there's a gigantic listing of all the hotels, negotiated rates. They have hotels in the city very conveniently located near McCormick Place or if you want to have something a little bit less costly, they have hotels in the suburbs as well. So there's a lot of options. imts.com forward slash hotels. And don't forget to register. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hey, so we are making trips. Making what? Making trips. What does that mean? Jason, why don't you tell us what it means? Well, we were just talking about making chips business and I kind of stumbled all over my words just like that, just like that and said making trips. And we're like, you know what? We're going on a road trip pretty soon and we should do some making trips episodes. Exactly. We're trying to make the most of our time. We're on a five hour road trip to a speaking event for the TSMA Tri-State Machining Association. Yeah, and we hired a driver to drive us and we're yeah, all, Nick. All, also known He's as real me. cheap. <laughs> <laughs> real cheap. I'm not charging anything, but... Yeah, we're about to do an episode on the importance of travel for the manufacturing leader. And while we're traveling, we thought, hey, why not just record at least one episode? And so here we are. Yes, we are. This is an experiment. Yeah. So let's talk about this, guys. Do you think that travel is absolutely necessary if you're leading a manufacturing company? I do. I know you guys are going to laugh at me because I always talk about the advantages of social intimacy. But I do believe that it's extremely important to get out and humanize your customers by a physical visit. There's no replacement for that. I mean, Zoom will not go away, but I believe that we will augment the Zoom technology to go back to physical visits and, and other like things. And I know that there's a lot of good reasons why you wanted to bring this up, Nick. And you, we had taken some notes earlier about some of the things 
about travel and the advantages. Do you want to tee that up? Well, I'll interject in this a little bit. My perspective might be a little bit different than you guys because most of our clients are from Rockford to the southern border of Wisconsin to Chicago to northern Indiana to western Michigan. So like I'm very concentrated in a smaller area and we do utilize say like video or Zoom calls in order to take care of things that are appropriate for that. But obviously, we have a lot more face-to-face meetings than, say, you would having customers across the country. But, I mean, I would even consider that travel. Well, it is. And you know, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you need to look at the appropriateness of what are you trying to solve? So like whenever you have a meeting, you always want to say to yourself, okay, what is the point of this meeting? What right. are we trying to solve? What kind of information are we trying to share? And can this be accomplished through a virtual video call or do I need to be in person? And I think that there's reasons to do one or the other. To set up a physical or virtual meeting doesn't always necessarily mean to solve an issue. You don't have to have an objective to have a meeting. You could just call or visit just to say hi, just to make it a social. Well, that's your objective then. It is my yeah. objective. So your objective is to be social. I'll push back on that a little bit. So like, we would call that the meet and greet. And my sales guys always say like, hey, I'm going to pop in for a meet and greet. And I'm like, right. well, what's the point? I don't like meet and greets when I'm on the receiving well, end. Well, they take up a lot of time. Yeah. I, I did a meet and greet just two days ago. This was a client and I hadn't, he's a good client. He spends a lot of money with us. We would call consider him an ideal client, active every single week with us. And I hadn't seen him since COVID started. And we would email, talk on the phone, whatever. And I just pop by and he was happy to see me and we like kind of yucked it up for 15 minutes and it was really important like when i left that meeting and after having that face to face with him i felt better about our relationship and him as a client and he felt better with me as but you didn't a get supplier. into business at all or like, not at all we just caught up with each other in person any issues that he has going no, on because he has an account manager that takes care of all that and he knows that he can call me on my cell phone sure. if he ever has something that needs to be elevated well i think there's a place for that too but i guess you know i'm always leading a sales team and maybe you were there to grow your business with the guy, but I don't like when there's every meeting's just a continuance. So there's no objective and there's no agenda. And there's, you know, even if it's a meet and greet type meeting, it's like at least bring something up or leave the guy with a lingering thought of, yes. of something that's going to drive had, the business forward. I had a meet and greet yesterday. I invited an old machine tool salesman in to see our new facility. And he brought in two of his salesman peers, uh, veterans, and we talked about machine tools. And it's not a machine tool that I buy, but honest to God, by just giving me some ideas, it made me think a little bit about changing the process of what we do on the shop floor. And that could be the objective. That could be the not, objective. Not necessarily to get a sale or to get a second appointment, but to just, get somebody considering something new. Right. Well, speaking of considering something new, we do always touch on some news. So I think we kind of blasted past the news, but I wanted to talk about something that's very new for everyone around the Chicago area. And that's the $4.70 or whatever it or is. Or more. For a gallon I paid, of gas. I've seen it over five. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thinking city. Rockford prices. It's over five. Yeah, in yeah, oh, yeah I've yeah, seen yeah. it over five in the city. It's wild. I don't use gas, but. That's right. You're a Tesla guy. But the price of a barrel is what, 102, 103? 103. Yeah, I just checked. So. Obviously, that's newsworthy, and a lot of it's attached to what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. This is related to manufacturing. Do you think that there'll be an uptick in 
the oil and energy industry due to the fact that oil is up so high again. What do you mean by an uptick? Because I might be able to lend some credibility there because like a couple of our biggest clients are oil and energy. Yeah. Downstream oil manufacturing. Yeah. Oil refineries. I'll see if what you're about to say coincides with my regional sales well, what, director what, what from you, Texas. I, but what exactly are you asking about? Like Jim? an uptick, like more production, right? Okay. The particular situation that I would be referring to when you're dealing with like the oil refineries, they have a lot of um, what they call turnarounds, which they use to maintain and repair the equipment. And if they've been delaying a lot of that, which in a lot of that stuff has to be like scheduled ahead of time, you can't just all of a sudden get that done that quickly. You know what I mean? There's a lot of union negotiations going on and stuff like that. That's really holding back that production from what I've seen. That's not what I mean. Okay. What I mean is, so everything in life and pricing is based on demand and availability, right? Supply and demand. So if the demand for crude petroleum goes up because we're not getting a certain percentage of that demand from Russia anymore that they're going to be relying the more supply on supply from Russia. Yeah, the supply from Russia and the demand gets transferred over to domestic petroleum. They're going to need more equipment to process this petroleum, right? Right. So you would that think means that they're going to need more contractors would be making more parts. Yeah, they're going to need more parts. Yeah. So that's what I think is going to happen. I have not seen it. That industry that we used to serve was back 10, 15 years ago. We really never graduated to the next level with that. But I'm just wondering if it's going to make a big impact in the next couple months due to the fact... We have some clients that are machine shops that make parts for that industry. We can give them a call and find out. Yeah, absolutely. What I've heard from my Texas area regional sales director... Yeah, Texas is the... I was thinking Tulsa. Yeah, he covers Texas. He covers Oklahoma. He covers like most of where we would say the hotspots for oil and gas are. And... He's telling me that what he's hearing is a lot of uncertainty. So obviously the thought would be, okay, we're going to start to see more and more downstream production related to what Jim was talking about, which is the need for us to produce oil domestically. But everyone's kind of like, well, what's going on with Ukraine and Russia? Well, people are really uncertain in general. And then when, when people are uncertain, they don't act. Yeah, they cla- you make the best use of what you have instead of making those investments that you probably should make. So I would say the word is like cautiously optimistic that yeah. there's going to be a boom yep. in machining related to the oil. Well, and gas I think world. the same thing applies to firearm. Everybody's talking about, well, is there going to be a World War Three? Like, what are we going to do about this? And you can't just start making a bunch of AR-15s overnight. Right, right. Or other military firearms that are going to be used in war. So that's a good point, because I think firearms is almost like the opposite. And I don't think AR-15s are actually used in like, you know, I don't know if whether they're used in wartime scenarios oh, yeah, or not. yeah, absolutely. Well, for, I'm saying for the United States, if that's the model or yeah, not. I don't know, what is it, like the M15? or There's so many gun people out there who yeah. are like, how do you not know this? Yeah. But I think that's a good point, because when there's uncertainty firearms goes like through the roof. Everyone's trying to buy more guns or make more guns until we can't anymore. But it seems like with everything else, when there's uncertainty, people more focused on like the scarcity mindset where they're like trying to protect what they have, you know, not necessarily invest. So anyway, uh, I think this is a good segue to the importance of travel because I want to get into some of the hidden benefits of travel. Right. That, you know, besides just going and visiting your customers. What are some of those hidden benefits of travel, Nick? We talked a little bit about the social intimacy part. We talked before we hit the record button earlier. Go ahead and elaborate a little bit. The one that's 
kind of segued from what we were just talking about is you can read economist reports and Google search all day long and see what people are saying about certain markets or certain industries. But the best way to know is to go to those shops that are primarily serving, whether it be aerospace or automotive or oil and gas and see like from them what's going on. You know, what are their suppliers saying? What are their customers saying? What's the demand like from them? And if you're just going back and forth with email, you know, you might bring up a topic like that, but you're probably not going to get into more of that, the specifics of what's going on in certain industries. And if you do get into it, you're not going to get into it at the same level as you would sitting across the table from someone having a person-to-person conversation. Totally. Well, you had mentioned earlier body language, and I think that's a great perspective. Body language is a huge, huge way to identify how the relationship is going, right? How the business meeting is happening. If you see that your client or the person you met with is a little uncomfortable, they're ignoring you a little bit, obviously it's time to get up and go. Mm -hmm. But other than that, if the body language is positive, it can really make the meeting take it to the new level. I think I read something like 93% of communication is nonverbal. So interesting. Not the words you're saying, but how you say the right. words or the body language behind them or your facial expression. Yeah, I'm, I'm suspect of how they measure that, but it, there's definitely a big percentage of body language. It was something like that that I read. Yeah, I would also add, I think that there is a seriousness to which you apply to a meeting that you do in person versus a meeting that you would do virtually. Of course. So like, for example, myself and one of my associates are flying out to Tulsa, Oklahoma next week. And we're going to be having some conversations with potential partners, potential clients. And it's something where you just wouldn't do that over Zoom. You know what I mean? You wouldn't make those deals over Zoom in that manner where you're making a serious business decision. So that's A. And then B, I would say, when you're requesting a meeting with somebody, and I know this from experience from my side, people requesting meetings with me, and they don't want to meet in person, and they want to do it merely based on convenience over video, you should question just how important that meeting potentially is to that person. I totally agree. I love that you segued there because the value or the perception of value in that meeting, that particular conversation is so much higher when it's like, hey, we're going to meet and hash this out across a conference table or sometimes over a dinner. I'm doing the same thing, not next week, but the following. Even my brother, the president of our company, we're going to one of our key customers and we're going to talk at a deeper level, more strategically, like how are we going to integrate our companies together so that we can make them successful? So that's a really good point. If we were going to try to do that over Zoom, like most of the other meetings we had, it would just feel like our regular week by week meetings. It wouldn't feel like, hey, this is an important one where they're flying out like two company executives to talk to us. Yeah, well, and, certain, I, and, and I've certain... gotten meeting requests where it's like, hey, Jason, do you want to go have lunch? Can we have this meeting at your office? And it's like, I just don't have time to schedule that and to make the room for that meeting. Let's just do a 15 minute meeting over Zoom and get that done. And I'm sending a message that You're not really interested. No, it's not that I'm not really interested. It's just that the subject matter of what we're trying to accomplish isn't as important important to the point of a physical meeting. meeting. And I don't ever want to say that that person is not important, but there needs to be a hierarchy to the importance of a meeting. I mean, if, if every meeting is the same in level of importance, then there's something wrong there. I just got to say something. We're passing a Walmart right now in the middle of rural Illinois. Isn't that just the way it is? 
you'd never expect you driving down this small rural street boom there's a walmart oh yeah yeah and the parking lot's packed and a tractor supply yeah it's probably like where everyone meets on Saturday night to hang out in this particular town. Sorry, I just had to say it. Well, no, it's, it's the most small town agricultural. I don't even know the name of the town we're in right now, but it's very much that. You wouldn't expect Whole Foods to be there. Or <laughs> no, or Costco. Anyway, the other thing, too, that I was thinking while you guys were talking was it takes an effort to make a physical appointment. You got to plan it. You got to buy either airfare. You got to jump in your car. You've got to put decent clothes on. You can't sit in your underwear like you could on a Zoom meeting. And, you know, there's a lot more effort involved in meeting somebody physically. And it shows that the people that you're meeting with, that you really want to make the effort to meet with them and you're interested in what they have to say. Absolutely. And that's really, really impactful. And there's this finite resource that we all share the exact same amount of, and that is time. Exactly. And so like, to Jason's point, when you invest the time to go and visit somebody, it shows like, hey, they're willing to invest more of that resource in, into me and this appointment. But the other thing about the time is, and one of the other points I want to make about travel, you got to get good at traveling. You got to be good at using your time wisely when you're on the road. Mm -hmm. And so I don't feel like I lose that much. And I'm on the road about a third of my year. I don't feel like I lose that much. That's a lot. You travel more than anybody I know. Think about this. I'll describe me flying to, I don't know, Boston. Atlanta. Or like okay. I'm, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to get in my car. And usually it's pretty early because I- Are you going to brush your teeth? I'm going to do all that. Yeah. Okay. You mean all the above? All the I'm going to make all sure- All the bullet points. I'm a clean person. Thank you. And then I get in the car and I head out. And when it's appropriate to call others, I start calling others and letting people know, you know, staying on top of important things that I'm not going to be- able to stay as on top of when I'm on an airplane or meeting with customers or whatever. So I'm making phone calls, which is the same thing I would be doing in my office. Then I get to the airport. I pay for the lounge because I travel so often. So I sit oh, in you, the lounge. Oh, you pay for that. Mm, yeah, I, I get it through my uh, credit card. So okay. I go sit in the lounge. If, but if, you pay per time every time? No, no. The Oh, you have access to it. Yeah, and it's oh, okay. worth it to me. Yeah, it is. It and is. like, I just did a basic cost justification. Like, what would it cost if I bought food and drinks at the airport? Yep, yep, and, yep. Okay. You know, whatever. So cool. I sit in the lounge and I'm productive with Wi-Fi on my laptop or my iPad. And then I board the plane and I sit on the plane and I pay for the Wi-Fi on the plane too. Yeah. I pay the you can annual be productive. fee. Oh, you do pay the annual? I consider like how many hours am I yeah, in an yeah, airplane? Yeah, yeah. And then, yep. you know, what's my time worth? And, you know, it was like a no-brainer. Then I land and then I'm doing visits with customers and visits with my salespeople and all that. And the whole time I didn't really like waste any time or lose a step or sit there and watch movies. Once in a while I'll watch a movie on a flight, but sure. most of the time I'm productive. Yeah, got it. And so it's like, okay, now that finite resource, I'm using that more valuably and I'm not missing as much sure. because I'm traveling. Sure. The next thing that you had wrote down on your note list is the dangers of traveling too much. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, Nick? Yeah. So, I mean... I mean, I think I know what you're going to say. Well, to me, the first danger would be with your family. Bingo. Right. I really respect and appreciate everything my dad did, but he was gone all the time. Yeah, my dad was too, but he wasn't gone out of town. He was just staying at the shop all the time. For me, it was like, hey, mom, where's dad? He's in China. Oh, cool. Like, when does he get back? Two more weeks. Oh, sweet. Tell him I said hi. <laughs> 
you know, and like, was that how it was when you were growing absolutely. up? Absolutely. Wow. When he was in town, you know, he'd come to my games and he'd be around and stuff, but like he was just gone a lot. And I think he and would do you say, think that contributed to the demise of your parents' relationship? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think that yeah. was a factor for sure. I think it definitely had an effect on my parents too, because my dad was at work all the time from 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. And he wasn't giving my mom the attention that she was craving. So it didn't end well. Yeah. I mean, things like that can happen it's and it's dangerous. easy to get like sucked into the next customer you need to visit or the next trip or anything like that. Yep. How did it make you feel and how does it affect you now? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was just thinking, no, we're getting pretty personal here. Well, I think this is kind of what it's about because it's real. It's authentic. I was going to say, I'm sure me and Jim aren't the only two who have a situation like no, this. There's probably not at all. many manufacturing leaders who can relate. So what do you do? When do you see the danger signs and when do you put the, turn on the red light? Well, just like your customers, right? So you need to spend time with and be intentional to communicate with your customers frequently so you can keep your finger on the pulse, right? Well, you got to do the same thing with your family. And also your internal employees at your headquarters. You know, if you're gone all the time, you can lose track of how maybe your number one person is feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of this comes down to in order to do this well, you can't just go and not think about how often you're going or anything. Like it comes down to setting guidelines. So you say to yourself, okay, I'm only going to travel this much. Right. And you establish that at the beginning of the year. But your threshold is going to be probably a lot different than mine's going to be different. Or somebody so, single. So mine's funny. So like in the month of March, I'm actually traveling. If you include this making trips road trip that we're doing for this live event that we're hosting, I'm actually traveling every week. But that's very much abnormal for me. So normally I would be back at home like almost every day. Yeah, it's yeah. very abnormal for me too because we don't need it. It comes down to like establishing those guidelines and you can establish those guidelines a variety of different ways. So Jim, you mentioned about your dad like coming home at 10 p.m. every night. You can establish these guidelines and say, I'm going to end my work every day at five o'clock. Or you're going to say, I'm only going to travel one week out of every single month. But you have to be deliberate about that. And you have to review that with the people that are most important to you. First and foremost, your family. Secondly, your team. However else that you need to do Well, that. since we opened the box and got into a therapy session, I'll go back to my family again and talk about some things that I learned from my dad and my mom and that hopefully my wife and I are doing better with. But... Well, if you're traveling, a third of your year is travel. That's a lot. It is a lot. Do you think that just because of the position that you're in with Amy? Bingo. Like my wife and I have an understanding. Yeah. It's one week a month and maybe a weekend or two. Mm -hmm. Just because sometimes I got to go do things that aren't like during work hours with certain customers or family business stuff or whatever. But mm -hmm. Jason's talking about like boundaries and guidelines. Like we have this understanding. And so I communicate that to everyone in my company as well. I have six regional sales directors that are all wanting me to visit key customers in, in each region of the country and up in Canada. I'm like, all right, well, March and April, I'm booked. So if someone wants me in May, you know, have three or four really good days of solid appointments set up and whoever books May, it's like first come, first serve. Sometimes this happens. If I have to go two weeks out of a month and you know, my wife's like, well, what happened? To, you know, <laughs> where the hell's the 30% type thing? And she should be like that. And I think to get back to my parents, I think my mom probably should have spoke up a little bit more yep. about it. And yep. my dad should have been more intentional about listening. But I do want to take the time to say this. I have nothing but appreciation and respect and admiration for everything my dad's done and the sacrifices he made for me to grow this business. And second kudos I got to give is to my wife, who's just awesome with three kids and me being gone that often. She's why I can do this, you know, so. Right. 
I don't think she listens to the show, but yeah. So let's move on from that. I think it's a very personal thing about how much travel is too much, the dangers of it. Everybody knows that there are dangers. There's implications. If you're depriving your loved ones, it's probably not a good thing. And that's the decision that you have to make on yourself. How much do you want to give away to somebody else rather than giving it to your family? Absolutely. But the next thing is the cost of travel. So Zoom is free, right? All the cost is an internet connection. And to travel to Oklahoma, Boston, Atlanta, there's airfare, there's rental cars, there's hotel accommodations. Expensive gas. There's dinners. There's... <laughs> The schmoozing, the entertaining. How do I figure the ROI on that, Nick? And you probably have a much better perspective on that than Jason and I. Well, we have guidelines, right? So my sales You can't stay at a five-star hotel. Yeah, we don't do that. Okay. We usually pick like a Holiday Inn or something kind of along that. Can you fly first class or do you have to go coach? No, nobody flies first class except for my 91-year-old grandfather, Willie, because he's He's 91. Yep. I'm surprised Um, that he flies first class. Well, he never did until recently. But that's kind of our MO of the company. Like, why would I pay this much money for a, for a ticket? Yep. And honestly, like, I think the last flight I took with him, he didn't even fly first. But back to guidelines. So you always say $40, $50 a dinner or a day, I should say. $40 per dinner 40, per 50, person and, per day? Yeah. So this okay. would be like for a regional sales guy who's just out making calls, but he's got to stay in a hotel and get dinner. Okay. You know, he can get lunch for 10 bucks. and, okay. you know, $25, $30 dinner. And okay. These guys respect our company enough that like if they wanted something nicer you know they might like put some of it on their own card or whatever sure i get the expense reports i don't really have issues with my guys but i think you're not always going to be able to get the perfect roi but there's always a time and a place for really treating a customer to something nice sure you know like a really nice dinner where you invite them and their team and it's steak and stuff like that and man that goes a long way does it really oh yeah Uh, absolutely i mean wouldn't it for you It would for me because, first of all, I like that. I like to be wined and dined. I'd much rather have a $20 glass of wine than a $5 glass of wine. And yeah, filet mignon goes a long way with me too. So Sure. So yeah, cost of travel is absolutely something that you need to consider. But I always like to think when I travel, I kind of like build the pipeline in my mind, right? So let's say we hit six, seven really key customers. And in those six or seven visits, we're talking about maybe five solid opportunities that are now like in my pipeline, something we're likely to quote. Right. I just think, all right, I kind of have an idea what my close rate is and what the probability is that we're going to land these. And I almost never leave a trip where I'm not thinking the investment in these visits wasn't worth it. Cool. You know what I mean? Good to hear. What else do we want to touch on? Get out of your cave was one of the other notes yeah, you said. By the way, you're awesome for reading through my show structure. Yeah, no drive, worries. Because we don't want to hear the last episode of Making Chips as I crash and all of us perish. Right. Yeah, my wife would not be happy. <laughs> she would kill you if you <laughs> but did that. Get out of your cave. So yeah. like, you know, there's this Japanese term, jensi gabutsu, which yeah. basically means like, go and see for yourself. So we talked about that with what's happening in certain markets. We'll go and see. And one example that comes into my mind is, you remember when that whole thing happened with the Boeing, what was a 737 MAX? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, by the way, they're flying now. I've just been on about three in the last... Yeah. So, like, when that first happened, and just that whole... That was a dark time for no, it was. aerospace manufacturers. It was. It was bad. And I remember being at a major one, and we knew things were going to be bad, but you could see on their face, and you could feel the anxiety. Oh, I bet. Uncertainty. Not knowing if the person next to them was going to have a job in right. two weeks and stuff like that. And we left that trip thinking... 
all right, things are going to be drying up a little bit in this particular market. Yeah, we and, need to go spend our time elsewhere, other industries. And people aren't as forthcoming about things that they're very fearful with. So when you go and see it, you come back and you're like, all right, yeah, time to s- switch strategies or attack different markets and stuff like that. So that's a good example. And then the other thing is, let's say, look, I lead a sales team. So most of the stuff I do is to try to bring in business. But man, I get to see some cool shops where they're doing some things the right way. I would encourage all manufacturing leaders to get out of your cave and to go see how other shops are doing it and to see what's working for them. Just to gain knowledge, ideas, whatever. Just picking up on stuff like how they utilize their people, what kind of processes they have, maybe like the visual controls that they use in their shop to measure and manage performance. And by the way, we're going to do an episode on visual controls pretty soon. But yeah, we are. like all of that, and you just get so many more ideas. And then it's a different kind of idea. Yeah. You can have an idea because you saw an article or Titan said something on a YouTube video or whatever. Or those but, guys from making chips said something. Yeah. yeah right. Well, you get an idea like because you saw it and talked to a real person about how they're actually doing it. And it's like, I don't know, those just seem to stick with me more, you know? Yeah, sure. So, Nick, do you have any other closing thoughts? Yeah. One other point. So, you know, you're always trying to identify the sales guys out there who are listening are going to know what I'm talking about, but you're going to try to identify, okay, who influences the decision, who makes the decision, Mm -hmm. who's that at the end of the day, signing the check and what you get from the org chart that's published on their company webpage or Or a title or a title. It's or often, the contact you have in your CRM now. Do people actually put org charts on their website? Oh, sometimes they show like leadership or whatever. Not an org chart, but they show oh. like who, yeah, who's on oh, the, leadership the leadership team. team yeah. or roles. So that's often like misleading. Yes, of course it is. I've been at companies where the father's like the one who's listed and he's the guy in the CRM from who we used to deal with 10 years ago or whatever. But really like the son or the daughter who's taking over the company is the one who's actually making the decision or right. vice versa. Right. Where like everything has to get rubber stamped by the founder of the company or whatever it might be. And so you don't really pick up on interpersonal dynamics with your customers or your suppliers or whoever you're visiting Mm -hmm. in the same way over a Zoom call or or a phone call. No way. Well, that's kind of like body language. Is that what we were talking about earlier? Yeah, because you could find out like, all right, these two people actually don't have a great relationship that I'm talking to or they're rivals or this person has a vested interest in working with my competitor because that was their idea to start that. And this other person person just came in and they want to switch because there's pride, there's ego. Well, I've got an example of something like that. So we deal with a lot of owners of machining companies, you know, the CFO, whatever else, the purchasing department. And we're also dealing with the engineering departments. So we sell a lot of custom form tools. And a lot of times there could be some up and coming engineer who is the one that's actually specking out all those form tools. But he might not be the high profile person on the website. He might not be the VP of engineering or the person that's cutting the purchase order. But if you don't know that person when he's specking that out at the onset, which unless you have that meeting in person and he shows up and you realize that, you might be really missing the boat and not getting to an application in the very beginning as opposed to when it's already too late. That's a perfect example. And I think the last point I want to make is I don't really have any science behind this, but just in my own experience... You know how everyone says like, oh, this is a shower thought. Like you have ideas in the shower. Jim says that all the time and it (laughs) it just makes me kind of shiver in a gross way. Well, if he says it right after he talks about intimacy, then then it just gets extra weird. But I think for me, like my mind works differently when I'm traveling. I do have a lot of shower thoughts though myself. Oh, totally. But do you have travel thoughts? Meaning 
do you get different ideas when you're on the road and you're seeing yes, different parts? For sure. Your brain like works differently. Yeah. Well, I get ideas from seeing the way other people do things and you know, yeah, absolutely. But I think just like, I don't know, because we talked about seeing how they do it and you get ideas there, but I think just the fact that you're traveling and you're in a different state or city or country sometimes, I don't know, it, it triggers creativity. I think that the psychological reason behind that would be that your mind has been given space to relax. So it's like the same thing when you're in the shower, your mind is relaxing because you don't have your computer in front of you. You don't have yeah. a notepad in front of you. You don't have your phone in front of you. So your mind has relaxed and then those ideas pop into your head. I think for like probably mostly for you and I, when we go home at the end of the day, it's like, we got to wrangle the kids. We got to get them to bed. We got to get their teeth brushed. We the gotta, real job. Yeah. The, the, we, gotta, <laughs> we have to, you know, help our wives out. We have to, you know, nurture them or whatever else needs to be done. And when we get away and we travel, we don't have that to get back to. And so then our mind takes an even more of a relaxing posture so that those ideas can come back into our head. Right on. Do you notice that, Jim? Like when you travel, whether it's vacation or for business, do you notice like, yeah, because I'm just getting out of my comfort zone. I'm just, it's, it's, it's a new environment to think getting out of your cave, right? Absolutely. But back to the shower thing. If you guys are thinking too much in the shower, you're probably spending a little too much time in the shower. I'm in and out in under five minutes. <laughs> I so, It takes me at least 10. Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty, oh, I'm Jason. a lot cleaner than you though, Jim. You're oh, kind of well, dirty. Well, I know that. I take long showers. Oh, I don't. I'm in and out quick. Bam, done. At the end of the day, guys, we want to equip, inspire, entertain our peers, our manufacturing leader comrades out there. And I hope this episode... This episode of making trips. Yeah. As we make our trip, I hope this encouraged you to make more trips and to get out of your cave and to see if the benefits that I just explained about traveling, if, if those are true for you as well. Yeah. Let us know your feedback. And if you have enjoyed the show, email us info at makingchips.com. Just let us know what you think. Let us know what subjects that we can bring to making chips that you want to have a discussion about. We love your ideas and we always want to make the show better. So Jim, what do we say when we end every episode? Well, it's what my dad instilled in my brains back when I was a young man growing up in the business. If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.